everybody. Welcome to episode 17 of the Snake in the Drop podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Bice. You can find me on Twitter at jsnake underscore dff. In this episode, I have Luke Neuendorf coming on the podcast. You should be following him on Twitter at Luke Neuendorf. And his last name is spelled N-E-U-E-N-D-O-R-F. And he's a writer for the Undroppables and does frequent deep dives into analytics. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about Luke's Twitter thread over how fantasy football players age. So welcome, Luke. How are you doing? I'm doing good. This is my first podcast, so I'm a little nervous, but I'm excited to do it. Uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, no problem. I've had a couple of people this be their first podcast because um, with my podcast, I just find threads like yours and I just want to talk about them because I think that there should be um, good info should be spread. So I, I do appreciate you coming on. There is one question I do like to ask every guest, and that is what is one hobby that you really enjoy doing that does not relate to fantasy football? Um, I've started building a FPV racing drone. It's a lot of fun, but it's pretty challenging. Um, I bought the parts this spring and I still won't have it up flying uh, because it's a pretty big learning curve with the software and I've been busy with school and other fantasy projects but yeah that's quite a bit of fun yeah that sounds awesome do you have like i guess you would take it out to maybe a big old field once you get it flying and just fly it around or is there a certain place that you'd go yeah i don't know i saw uh the government starting to crack down on some of the rules with racing drones like where you can fly them so i'll have to be kind of careful as to where i go keeping it away from people and stuff like that gotcha yeah that makes sense people get a little uh scared around drones yeah, for sure. So let's go ahead and dig into your thread about how players age. So we're going to start with the running back. And my first question is, most dynasty fantasy football players look to sell running backs after or right at the age of 25. But what did your research find? So since my first thread that got the most attention, I've done some more research. The problem with that thread is there was some sampling bias. So as the sample size shrunk with the years played, uh, scrub players were basically weeded out. So in the first few years, it was the sample size was diluted by the scrub players. So the percentages seemed lower than they actually should have been. Um, whereas at the end, it was only elite players. Uh, the good news with that, though, is it still showed at least that elite players continue to produce like in the sample of those later years. Um, for this new study, I tried to counter for that by only sampling players who had at least one top 24 season for running backs and wide receivers and players who had at least one top 12 season for tight ends and QBs. This way, the sample would ideally only be looking at good players. So yeah, sorry, I'm probably boring you with the details here. Um, I think it's important to know the details because like you, you already mentioned with your first start, it did just have like every player listed. So obviously the studs would last longer, but yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm curious on the second thread to get some more info. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so what it found was that uh, running back scoring as top 12 don't decline until around age 27, but this isn't really a study on when running backs, um, fall off so to say like it doesn't project the likelihood of an rb being injured and that ending its career more so it predicts the chance of if an rb lasts until age 27 he has the same chance as an rb who's playing at age 24 of scoring in the top 12 um and yeah basically 
his chances don't fall off from anywhere between age 21 all the way up to 27. And then from age 28 to 30, there's kind of another plateau around 25%. So 21 to 27, there's like a 40% chance of scoring as a top 12 RB. And then 28 to 30, there's a 25% chance. And then after 30, there's a big drop off. It's basically, there's very few RBs that score as top 12 and same with top 24. Like though, obviously there's outliers. There's like Frank Gore and Adrian Peterson, but the rule of thumb mostly is once you hit 30 or get past 30, you're usually not fantasy relevant anymore. Yeah. I was going to ask, so are you in on Frank Gore for what, running back one this season? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely not. Um, <laughs> I'm definitely avoiding that. <laughs> Gotcha. Yeah. Adrian Peterson's an interesting one. I would say for a top 24 season potentially, but um, we can talk about that a little bit later. So my next question is, are there any types of running backs that you would look to sell over others as they age? Uh, I never specifically looked into like predictors as to what predicts um, the fall off of RBs. However, that would be an interesting study, but I do like to take into consideration injury analysis from guys like Adam shout out to Adam on Twitter at the real Adam underscore H Uh, when looking at older backs, I feel like that's really helpful to kind of weed out those who are more likely to continue playing based on their injury outlook. Gotcha. And Adam is a a friend of the podcast. We can say I saw, uh, I think it was Sal on Twitter talking about that term, but he's been on the podcast a couple of times and, that is an important thing to remember with like injuries. Like I know we're going to talk about Todd Gurley as a possible person to be concerned about. And I know there's recent uh, Twitter buzz around he was limping. So do you have any specific players in mind of players to just sort of look at a little bit closer? Oh, uh, yeah. So I wanted to dive into Lev Bell. Obviously, he's an aging back. I feel like he's kind of got a bad stigma around him because he's getting older. Um, so I looked at some statistics. I set a threshold for... Um, has a having an R squared value of 25%, uh, meaning that it's pretty predictive of following season fantasy points. So in weighted opportunities, Ludbell was fourth overall among running backs. In targets, he was seventh overall, and he was third in passing routes with 319, only behind CMC and Zeke. He was 11th in carries, and he was 21st in yards created. Most of these are just volume stats, but I feel like that's something that's not going to go away for Le'Veon Bell. I mean, the only competition he has there is LaMichael Pirine, and no offense to him, but I don't feel like he's any threat to Le'Veon Bell. And he's going at RB64 overall in Dynasty ADP, and for the production that he'll probably give you for the next few years, I feel like that's a value for sure. Yeah, I agree. I like Le'Veon Bell for any contender to get him or for anybody doing a startup that wants to win now, which – um, in the podcast that people will hear a couple days before this, talked with Polly uh, at Polly Sleepers about how he always goes win now, which after doing a couple different builds, I definitely lean that win now. And Lev Bell's a perfect example. Um, your next guy you have on here is Mark Ingram. So what's your thoughts on Ingram? Uh, yeah, so I also looked at, again, statistics setting a correlation threshold to how it predicts following season fantasy points. So all these statistics have a at least a 25% correlation. Um, they're among like the top 
quarter of the stats that I ran predicting uh, following season points. So for Mark Ingram, he was 13th in breakaway runs per game and 12th in breakaway runs overall. I thought that was kind of interesting. It kind of shows he's still got that uh, big play ability. Um, he was 80th in evaded tackles, which was ninth in the league. He had 26 carries inside the 10 and 16 inside the 5. That was 8th overall in the league. And he was 18th in yards created created per game. And then also he had uh, some of his like talent metrics. Like He was really good in run blocking. He was 9th overall there. He was the first overall running back, actually, in Juke Rate. And uh, he was seventh overall in true yards per carry. So I feel like that shows he hasn't fallen off in terms of talent. Last year, Baltimore led the league in rush attempts per game. And I don't think that's likely to slow down this year. They've got a really dynamic offense. So even if Dobbins comes in and steals some carries, Mark Ingram's still going to be good. And uh, at his 87.7 FFPC Dynasty ADP, he's probably a value. I wouldn't take him anywhere above that, but around 90 is probably a good spot to take him. Yeah, and I just looked up his ADP according to DLF, which they're probably pretty similar, but just said his running back ADP, and he's RB44, and he's actually going behind guys like Daryl Henderson, Tevin Coleman. Yeah. I'd even include Raheem Mostert, Marlon Mack in that as like people with concern. So he is a good, interesting buy for win now teams again, like we've already mentioned. And um, mm. he is someone, if you do have a uh, rebuild, I would definitely try to move him for someone like AJ Dillon, someone like that. But at the same time, you do have to know when you need to rebuild and when you need to go all in and get someone like a Mark Ingram. Yeah, definitely. And like you say, it's it's always best to try and win now if you're in a startup. No point in wasting your money on waiting for four years on players that you don't really know if they're going to hit or not. Yep, that's a that's a great point. And um, yeah, as I already mentioned, I I think I learned my lesson by I did two productive struggles. One that's going to be rougher than the other, but uh, this last year, and then a couple of win now teams. And man, it's it's something. You look at your team, you're like, oh, I'm so young, so many draft picks. And then you think about, oh. 50% of those are going to hit. The other 50% won't. <laughs> Crap. <laughs> yeah. 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 You get a younger roster that looks so good, but then two years down the road, it's probably going to be way different. Yeah. Always, it seems like you're always thinking about best possible outcome for those young guys, but that isn't always what happens. Yeah. And the next guy we're going to talk about, the last guy actually running back is someone that Adam did come on the podcast and talk about with uh, his recent, well, relatively recent, it was like a month ago, article over Todd Gurley. So what are your thoughts on Gurley this year? Yeah. So last year he actually looked really good in terms of opportunity metrics. He was actually fourth in the league in 2019 in terms of pass routes run by a running back. He had 310. That being said, I'm actually out on him because of, like you mentioned, what Adam said, Adam Hutchison at at the real Adam underscore H. I gotcha. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Thanks. Um, but anyways, he said that uh, he has early onset osteoarthritis, which causes knee pain in the joint until you get joint replacement, basically, which would end his career. So it's just something that's going to get worse and worse as he continues to play. So basically, it's just a battle against can he play through the pain, and that's not someone I want to take a gamble on. Yeah, that's that's a great point with Todd Gurley. He's someone that I think has a very high upside. But then if we're looking at, mm-hmm. uh, again, current ADP, RB21 right now in Dynasty. And I'd rather take a chance on someone like a David Montgomery 
over him. Um, who's another one that could be interesting? Like a James Conner could be interesting, which he is going later. Yeah. Um, but just someone that I think with Dave Montgomery, he's being slept on in a lot of leagues. I know his metrics don't look the greatest, but his workload is fantastic. And if he improves his metrics by five, ten percent, he's jumping yeah, upwards. Sure. Yeah, I'm not I'm not a David Montgomery fan, but uh I saw something that started to sway me. It was like oh Le'Veon Bell had just as inefficient of a rookie season. And if you faded him that year, you know, look how you ended up. He ended up being one of the best RBs and he's David Montgomery is kind of similar to that in terms of he's got that juke ability, shake and bake. Yeah. And that's, that's what makes dynasty fantasy football so hard. It's because you, you don't want to hold on to guys too long where they lose value, but at the same time, you don't want to be um, getting rid of people right before they break out. Like uh, Devontae Parker is an example of someone that I probably would I would have sold him a couple of years ago, you know, and then now you're going into this year and you're like, oh, wow, he's actually like his value is a 2021 first right now. So it's tough. Yeah, for sure. There's those guys that use there's always outliers that you can't project. Agreed. So we're going to go to wide receiver next. And in your thread, you mentioned how wide receivers take longer to hit their stride. So I'm going to switch this question to more of like a rookie draft strategy. And uh, it's because wide receivers take longer to hit. And you recently found that RBs hit at the same rate as wide receivers at year nine, which it may be a little bit sooner with your newer thread. Um, but would you look to grab a talented running back over wide receivers? So like one potential example would be to take Cam Akers over CD Lamb. Yeah, so in rookie drafts, I always try and lean RB over wide receiver. Looking at the results of the new study, it's very similar. Uh, wide receivers don't hit until their peak seasons of their career until age 25, and then they continue up until age 30. But in their rookie year, um, even in this new sample, only 5% perform as top 12 wide receivers. Yeah, even in their second year, it's not too great. It takes them a few years to really hit their stride uh, versus running backs. It's like right away uh, they can perform as one of the top RBs. So, for example, if you look at Miles Sanders, Sanders versus A.J. Brown, uh, they both had great rookie seasons. A.J. Brown, you could argue his season was more impressive as he had an 1,000-yard receiving season, which is Really impressive for a rookie. However, Sanders' ADP is uh, his dynasty ADP is pick 16, whereas AJ Brown's ADP is pick 41 for DLF. So even if you were rebuilding and you had selected Miles Sanders, you could now trade him for a good wide receiver plus and continue your rebuild that way. Yeah, and another that's a really good example. And another one is even like Nikhil Harry which I know he was injured yeah. most of the season, but you have him and then you have like some dark horses like Terry McLaurin, who seemed to play really well, like AJ Brown. Uh, honestly, this last season was pretty funky for wide receivers because they all seemed to play well, which was weird. Yeah, for real. Besides Enkiel, like you said, he's, he's got been taking a few dart throws on this year. He could be an interesting breakout candidate, but yeah, that's, yeah. that kind of fits that mold of a wide receiver who, underperforms in his rookie year but you never know for the following years after that then 
Yeah, and also with the running back versus wide receiver argument is you have the scarcity argument to where you're going to be starting 24 running backs in a league and then you may have what serviceable amount of running backs of like maybe 40 you probably don't even want to be starting that many versus wide receivers you have probably two on each team that's playing so it's about like 60 to to 80 wide receivers to start in a two or three start wide receiver spot and that's something that i've heard like scott barrett talk about with running back scarcity making them valuable and that that's why typically a zero rb strategy is not the smartest idea and i will add in dynasty with doing a couple of progressive struggles, which is just where you you punt the first year. I learned a fatal mistake that if you do not get a top-end running back, it's almost a zero chance you're going to get one in a trade afterwards. And the odds of hitting on one right off the bat in 2021 to contend is very small. So I learned my lesson that way. Yeah, for sure. Late round RB is definitely a strategy I try to avoid. Yeah, same here. So going back to the thread, um, what do you think is the main reason for wide receivers in year 12 hitting at a similar rate to wide receivers at year eight or nine? And this is, again, the first study. So you may be able to expand on it with the, the newer study. I didn't I didn't look at that one for um, doing the show notes. But is it that only the talented wide receivers tend to last that long or is there something else going on with it? Yeah. So for this new study, there's a gap between year eight and year 12. Um, and it's a bit larger in terms of performance. Uh, so for the for age 28, 30% of players perform as top 12. And then for players that make it to age 32, 18% perform as top 12. So the drop-off is a bit bigger. But even so, like beyond that, like you're 33, it's 15%. 34 players who make it to your 34, it's 19%. So, like, the amount of players that extend past age 30, their odds of scoring as a top player is higher than most people would think. It's just a matter of do they make it to that point in their career. However, these are mostly, like, really elite wide receivers, like the Randy Mosses, Jordy Nelsons, Brandon Marshalls of the league. Um, I think Julio Jones is a good example of that this year. Looking at ages 31 to 34, like I said before, it's pretty consistent. So, yeah. Awesome. And... Um, with this age being like everybody in Dynasty, if you played it for even a year, you want the young, the younger guys. You you always tend to fade uh, the older players, and your threads did a great job of saying, well, let's wait on that a little bit. So is there any wide receiver that you see being faded in Dynasty fantasy football because of their age? Yeah, so this guy, he might not be the um, oldest in terms of age, but it seems like there's kind of a stigma around him being a old unsexy pick um i know he's been getting some hype on twitter now but robert woods he's 27 years old so last year these are some stats again that are pretty highly predictive of following season points he was um 12th in first downs per game with 3.6 he was second in yards after the catch per game with 37.3 so he was a yak monster um he was seventh in snaps with 900, 911, and he was first in the league in red zone snaps with 147, but even so, he only had three receiving touchdowns, so he's probably going to bounce back this year in terms of touchdowns. Um, I mean, who knows, variance he could repeat again, but he's likely going to bounce back there, and his FFPC ADP is 80.5, which that's, that's a screaming value to me. You could get three plus more good years out of him versus taking a gamble on a young guy that, you know, there's 
no guarantee if you haven't seen it out of them already. Yeah, and I think another player that is a good example of this as well is Jarvis Landry, which on DLF, Landry's wide receiver 31, Robert Woods is wide receiver 32. And so it's like those two players are values for contenders. Yeah, for sure. Like a consistent guy, you know, you're going to productive seasons out of them. And yeah, that's something that can definitely be undervalued in Dynasty. And one thing I also wanted to add with Robert Woods is I recently, actually this morning, did a thread on Jared Goff about how he's actually been a pretty consistent fantasy quarterback in that like 2017 QB 12, 2018 QB 7, 2019 QB 13. But the reason Mm. that he was QB 13 in 2019 was he had a crazy drop off in his touchdown percentage. It went from 5.7% in 2018 to 3.5% in 2019. So speaking on the... Yeah, the increase in touchdowns for Robert Woods is if Goff would have had the same touchdown rate, he would have had 14 more touchdowns in 2019 and would have finished his QB6. So if that happens, then like Cooper Cup, Jared Goff, or Cooper Cup and Robert Woods, like ceiling is there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. On that same note, that backs up the point you just make. I don't know if you listen to JJ Zacharyson's pod, podcast. He, uh, he mentions the uh, Rams as one of the biggest team regressions in terms of offensive touchdowns that confirms the same point you had there there they were one of the biggest underperformers last year in terms of terms of expected touchdowns yeah i love jj's podcast he's actually the one that turned me on to jared goff and how i didn't realize how crazy low his percentage was and um i mean we even bring in the exciting rookie of cam Akers, and i know everybody's hyping up daryl henderson now with the the hard knocks hype um, they, they're just an exciting offense in general. Um, again, don't yeah, go buy sure. Daryl Henderson for really expensive. Just don't do it, <laughs> please. Yeah, I don't know. Chalk, Chalk sent a trade. I don't know if I can find it. He um, posted on Twitter a trade he had. Uh, he went out and bought Cam Akers for pretty cheap right now that's, off Daryl Henderson hype. That's nuts. That's that's one of those things like, okay, for anybody listening, if there's any hype around a player or anything that's low – do not just go out and sell or buy a player, which I just found the trade. Um, and it's DJ Chark for Akers and LaVishka Chenault. And that is a trade that I would definitely do. And he said a little over a month ago, I traded Cam Akers for Kenny Galladay straight up off the rookie yeah. knife. And then now he just got Akers for DJ Chark. Wow. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Wow. Yeah, People and that's, that's too much by that stuff. Yes, like anytime that there's a value switch, like going one way or the other, like um, what's a good example? Um, like even Todd Gurley today, it came out that he was limping or something. Don't mm-hmm. go sell Todd Gurley today. Wait. In season, he's going to have a couple of good games. I know there's concerns with the knees, but I would almost guarantee he's going to have a couple of good games, and then you sell him then if you really don't want him on your team. Yeah, he's definitely still got the talent. It's just a matter of how many games can he play with that injury. Yep, agreed. So – now we're going to go to quarterback data and your quarterback data really interested me because after year one, it's all about the same until year 11, which you mentioned is because only the elite QBs play that long. And so that's like your Peyton Mannings, your Tom Brady's Drew Brees, people like that. So mm-hmm. my question is, should we as dynasty face football players be less concerned about age for QBs? Yeah. So I definitely think aging QBs are undervalued. Even like the Cam Newtons, I guess there's an injury risk risk with him. I don't, I can't really say I'm informed on um, what his outlook is there concerning. I'm not an injury expert, but he's only 31, I think. And some guys are fading him because of age. Yeah, there's definitely kind of 
a stigma around those older guys like Rogers is 36 and QBs perform at a top 12 rate really consistently. I know my first study I did in terms of years, but um, this one I looked at age to kind of uh, make it a little bit easier to visualize. Um, but from ages 24 all the way up to age 37, if a player lasts to that age, it's basically the same chance of scoring as a top 12 QB. And then it's interesting also to note, though, that there's a no QB has performed as top 24 QB beyond age 42. Uh, so the only QB I have in my sample that uh, played in, at, at age 43 and at age 44 was Warren Moon. He performed as QB 70 and QB 50 overall in that those years so it's definitely so basically i'll just i'll just jump ahead to the next point tom brady he's a qb 19 overall in dynasty but i think that's way too early for a qb that's 43 because at least in my sample there's no history of a qb that's ever done it at age 43 and to go as a qb 19 ahead of a lot of younger guys that just seems a little ridiculous to me i mean maybe he is the goat so maybe he'll prove me wrong but uh that just i just don't like the odds there Gotcha. And one thing I did want to say with the QB 15, I don't know exactly where the data came from, but on, on DLF with their QBs, they do have Tom Brady at QB 29, which that is behind players that have more career potential with like Jordan Love at QB 33. I'd even say Mitch Trubisky, Nick Foles, 34, 36 mm-hmm. being there. But yeah, Tom Brady's an interesting example of like, I could see him being a buy for a contender, but he is a get out of town if you're a rebuild. Like you do not want him on your team past week four, week five. Like you want him off like as soon as he has a big game. Yeah, yeah, for sure. He doesn't have many years left in his career, I don't think, if maybe two years. But yeah, I don't want an aging QB that, that that's that old. Yeah, and the, the next person you have on your, your list is Aaron Rodgers. So I know there's some, like you have John Hogue on Twitter that's all over Aaron Rodgers and loves Aaron Rodgers, and you have other people that are lower on him. And I'd say I'm probably I'm lower on him in general too. So what are your thoughts on Rodgers? Yeah, so Rodgers is going to be 36. I don't know when his birthday is, if he'll be – I think he'll be 36 this season. Um, and per DLF ADP, he's going as a QB 15. And so I looked at – a sample of elite QBs from uh, ages 36 to 40. So it's a five-year sample. Um, Manning finished top six at age 36, age 37, and age 38. Uh, Breeze finished top 10 four or five times from age 36 to 40. Brady finished top three twice from 36 to 40. And Warren Moon finished top six three or five times from 36 to 40. So I thought it was interesting, those elite QBs, they continue to do it even when they get older. Like they're putting up elite top 12 performances even as they age into that 36 to 40 range. So I did have one question about Aaron Rodgers. So with Aaron Rodgers, you have Jordan Love just right behind him. And I could see Jordan Love, like he's someone that I'm not really buying right now in Dynasty just because I don't see him starting for another two or three years. I know he's a first round pick, this and that, but... Uh, do you see Rodgers having a change in situation that would hurt his value, or could it be more like a Tom Brady to the Buccaneers where it actually improves his value, or is it just one of those things that you're just, you just feel safe with him because, I mean, even Peyton Manning changed situations and went to the Broncos and played well. Yeah, I think I think Rodgers will be okay. I saw I think the Packers can opt out of his contract in two years, so he's got he's pretty much guaranteed two seasons, and I think He'll for sure be the starter for 
two more seasons here, barring injury for the Packers. Um, but then after that, yeah, like you say, obviously you can't predict that, but uh, he's in kind of a run-heavy offense right now. So a change of situation probably would be better for him for fantasy. Um, I've seen people saying he could go to teams like the Broncos if Drew Locke doesn't do good. They have a lot of talent there, and that would definitely be a bump in terms of his projected fantasy output if you went somewhere like that. Yeah, that's a great point. So we're going to now switch to tight ends, our last position to talk about. And in your article, you talked about how tight ends don't typically hit until year two or three. So in rookie drafts, do you typically fade drafting tight ends, even in like a tight end premium league or um, some people that are crazy like myself do a start two tight end league because of this? Or do you see it as a potential to buy tight ends on the the less expensive side and then wait for the talent to show? I try to avoid tight ends, rookie tight ends. I try and um, narrow down. So if you like, if you look at the sample, narrowing it down uh, for tight ends drafted in round three or earlier, only nine percent of tight ends finished top twelve at their position in their rookie year. Um, and then in year two, that number jumps up to thirty percent, um, and then it stays pretty consistent at thirty percent. So I try and avoid rookie tight ends just because they're I mean obviously like a top 12 tight end cannot even be that valuable if it's a lower end tight end I saw a tweet from uh, Michael Lou and Mike me up yesterday saying uh, we should t- change the uh, tight end one value to tight ends like one through five I think he said because the point fall off after that is like really consistent it's those top five that really give you the value historically but yeah those Tight ends in year one, their odds of just performing as an elite tight end are just so much lower that you can go out and try and buy them after their rookie season. Um, and then hopefully they hit year two. An example of this is like George Kittle. He was tight end 19 uh, after his rookie year. And then he broke out in year two and finished as the tight end three. And yeah, we know this year he was a beast, obviously, too. Yeah, and he, he just got a big old contract. <laughs> It's like 15 million yeah. a year, something crazy. Yeah, five th- years or something. Yeah, and I think a couple of tight ends I could fit that mold, which I know people are turning around on Hawkinson, which after the 2019 season, everybody was way faint over Hawkinson. Um, and then now it's sort of gone back to their about equal. So Hawkinson's one of those tight ends that could you could have potentially bought. And then I think a better buy just related to cost is Irv Smith Jr. with a potential change in situation with Kyle Rudolph leaving as well as he was only one target less than Kyle Rudolph last year. And I expect a bump and also with Justin Jefferson coming in, he was on the COVID list. Um, he is a rookie and we've, everybody has talked about rookies, this rookie, that. So I think Irv Smith Jr. is a yeah. good buy too. Yeah, definitely. Especially with the, the limited offseason, too. Jefferson's going to get less snaps with his QB there. Probably a good time for Irv Smith. Since he had some time with him already, he'll probably step in at least early in the season and develop a good rapport with Kirk Cousins. Yeah, I agree. And so what are are there any tight ends that you believe are being faded in dynasty football because of age? And we're actually going to disagree about uh, one of your points, which – It'll be an interesting discussion with uh, Darren Waller versus Zach Ertz. But what are your thoughts on uh, tight ends being faded because of age? Yeah, so um, once you get past age 30 for tight ends, the odds of performing as a top 12 tight end decrease substantially unless you're among the super elite. Tony Gonzalez, Antonio Gates, Shannon Sharp, 
those guys fit at that mold of that super elite. Um, they had quite a few top six seasons after that still, especially Tony Gonzalez. He's, he was ridiculous, but, um, Jason Witten also, you could kind of argue does, but he's been in that nine to 12 range. Uh, so that's, that's basically streaming tight end value. It's not really much. You don't, you're not excited to start that. Um, but then if you look at other names like Jimmy Graham, Craig Olson, Frank Wycheck, LG Crumpler, um, all these guys fell off after their age 30 to 31 season. So it depends on how you classify a guy like Ertz. But um, so then because of this, I like Waller's value. And I believe he's uh, he should be going above Zach Ertz. Um, and Zach Ertz is going too high. Um, per DLF ADP, Waller and Ertz are going nearly three rounds apart with Waller at tight end 92 or Waller at overall ADP, Dynasty ADP of 92, and Ertz at overall ADP of 60. Uh, Waller is 27 versus Ertz. Ertz is 29. Uh, looking at workout metrics for tight end, uh, two of the most predictive, well, the two most predictive workout metrics for the following season is 40 time and speed score. Neither of them are very predictive um, because workout metrics just don't tend to be predictive very much. But these two are five percent, seven percent, and uh, Waller ran a four four six forty, which is a hundredth percentile. I'm sure people have heard that. You heard that a lot last year, and he had a speed score of one thirty one point six, which is ninetieth percentile, ninety ninth percentile. Excuse me. Um, and last year he was the eighth fastest. Uh, he had recorded the eighth fastest speed in the NFL among other guys like. Nico Hardman, Nick Chubb, Saquon, CMC at 21.76 miles per hour. I posted that on Twitter. I just thought that's ridiculous. He's 255 pounds and one of the fastest guys in the NFL. That's nuts. And last year, he was second in the league in terms of receptions. And even so, he only had three touchdowns. So he's probably due for positive touchdown regression. Um, obviously, there's no guarantee, but... Um, he was also seventh in tight ends among red zone snaps with 108. That has a 30% R squared value to following season points. Um, he had the third highest snap share among tight ends with 90.4% behind only Kelsey and Caden Smith, which I was surprised by Caden Smith being in there. But um, he was second among tight ends in Yak, only behind Kittle by four yards with 565 yards. Um and I posted this on Twitter as well. There's a 39.4% R squared value, which is super high. That was among the best uh, metrics for predicting following season points. I mean, also last year, PFF graded Waller out as the sixth best overall tight end versus Urch as the 14th best overall tight end. So I'm a big Waller fan, and I think he's a screaming value at his ADP. Gotcha. Before I dig into Waller versus Ertz, I do want to say that Caden Smith is an excellent dynasty buy because I know we've all known Evan Ingram. He's coming off this Frank injury. Adam had a great article, and I think that if you own Evan Ingram or if you don't, Caden Smith's a good buy target just because the potential for a nice increase in value is there. Yeah, for sure. If Ingram is out, he's got tight end one upside easily. Yeah, and so a couple of points that I think changes my view of Waller versus Ertz is 
Um, if we're just talking about strict workload, I think Zach Ertz's workload of 135 targets is going to be pretty similar this coming up year because um, if we look back to previous years, like 2018, 156, 2017, 110, 2016, 106, which one thing that helps Eckert's is we have seen it for previous years versus Waller. He's he's the new kid on the block. Uh, he's been on it. He's been here for, for one season only. So it's obviously you can't extrapolate Waller from previous. But with mm. Waller, there's also, for me, a slight concern with whenever Hunter Renfro was playing, Waller seemed to have a drop off in production. And also the Raiders recently added Ruggs and um, Brandon Edwards, Brian Edwards. There we go. Uh, so it's just those little things right there concern me. And then the last point, and this is one that I'm starting to come off on be, or not have it rate as high for me because I think I just – I look into contracts a lot and I, th- I think I make it too much of an impact on my decisions and my rankings. But with Darren Waller's contract, he has no dead cap after 2020. And that to me just it makes me real squirmy and real nervous in Dynasty because all it takes is one bad season or like say Foster Moreau yeah. coming up and playing really well that Darren Waller's cut. But at the same time, like yeah, you just I didn't know it. Yeah, but like Darren Waller, he's a freak athlete. Like well, that is something that we all need to remember. Darren Waller is a freak athlete. And teams do want freak athletes. And um and like with Zach Ertz, I know a lot of people are all over Dallas Goddard over Zach Ertz and I personally expect Zach Ertz to stay on the Eagles until at least 2021 because he's, first of all, been the number one receiver for the Eagles the last four years. And then also with his dead cap, he's like 7.7 million dead cap in 2021. And I don't think they would cut him for only saving 5 million. Um, But this really, I shouldn't say that this is a Waller versus Ertz. This is more that I think Ertz has value. And I am starting to turn around on Waller and thinking that I'm just I'm looking too much into the situation and using too much speculation versus looking at how Waller last year, he was tied in three. And he's 27 and he just recently got a contract and he only had three touchdowns, which that is something I did not realize. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he definitely. That, those are good points you brought up, though. I didn't know that about his contract. Correct. Um, that's definitely a risk if he was to like get injured or something, say he could be cut, I suppose. But he was among the best tight ends in terms of he's just a freak athlete. Like his yards after the catch was 565 yards. Like he was insane last year. But yeah, I also I agree with you on Ertz. I like I like Ertz at his ADP. He's a solid tight end who probably has a couple more years left in him. But yeah, I just I prefer Waller for having a little bit more youth, and uh, I think he's got tight end one upside and his range of outcomes with his talent yeah it's definitely with his workout metrics and what we've seen it's definitely in that range of outcomes like one thing that uh mike me up that you mentioned he said we should be looking at tight ends that have top five upside not tight end one potential and i would say if i'm looking at a list of tight ends we have george kittle kelsey andrews zach Ertz. i'd say evan ingram has tight end five upside potential mm-hmm. um hunter henry gets a little bit makes me a little nervous with especially this year but like darren waller i think has it noah fant tj hawkinson has it dallas goddard to me has it if Ertz isn't on the team or is injured and then hooper i don't think has it hayden hurst is top five to me is rich and everybody else to me top five is really rich so there's like mm-hmm. eight nine tight ends that you may want on your team to get that top five potential which i think that's a great outlook to look at and something that i recently had some dynasty rankings released and it's something that i'm going to be thinking about more because 
that upside for tight end is so important, like you just mentioned. Yeah, definitely. If you hit on that late tight end, that's that's an automatic boost to your team. Those teams, I don't know. Last year I took uh, O.J. Howard on a couple teams in a redraft, and I hated myself for doing that. Those That second tier of tight ends, that's the hit rate is pretty low on them usually. I agree. So I had a blast chatting today, Luke, and I just wanted to ask, do you have any projects or articles that you're working on right now? Uh, yeah, I'm currently building out uh, some models to project lifetime value. So the end goal is to create a trade calculator with these uh, values, among other tools. Uh, that'll be on uh, the Underoperables website. Uh, shout out to the rest of the trade calculator team. There's a Dave at Professa on Twitter. Twitter, That's with the H at the end of it. Uh, Brian at BPOFSU on Twitter. Chuck at 101 Chuck and Jax at Dino Game Theory. Um, if you're not following them, go hit them up on Twitter. Uh, also, if you haven't checked out the new Undroppables website, go check it out. I know Chuck and a few others put a lot of time into it, and it's really nice looking now. And, yeah, I just wanted to th- say thanks again for having me on. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I love having people on that have threads that challenge dynasty thought process and just fantasy football thought process because whenever we look at stuff with such a closed lens and don't really expand our thought process, then nobody grows. And I also want to say that with the Undroppables website, if anybody's listening to this, this will be dropped on Wednesday, that you have already heard um, my recent podcast with Polly Sleepers on Monday. And so we talked about the the new website like a, a good bit and it's it's a great website definitely should check it out give everybody at the undroppables a follow because they all do great work we have luke who just drops analytics threads that are really great we have all of them are good to chat with about if you have any trades anything like that and i mean shoot i've had a ton of y'all already from the undroppables on the podcast and it's just because y'all are fun to talk to that's that's the main reason I want to thank you for coming on, Luke, and everybody should go follow Luke on Twitter at Luke uh, Neuendorf. I may have screwed up your last name, but it's Luke and then N-E-U-E-N-D-O-R-F. And also make sure to subscribe, rate, and review to the Snake in the Draft podcast or if you're listening to podcasts. And I want to thank everybody for tuning in, and let's be snakes this draft season.